with a fairy and in hand, for the world's more full of weeping that you can understand. Ja, hallo Leute, also ich liebe, was ihr macht. Super, super Sache. Fettsack, mach weiter so. Äh, Goethe ist ein großer Fan von äh, Molière. Also ich gebe euch eine 16, 16 Euro Donation für Keep It Up. listeners for coming back surprised you here i am molia <laughs> no because what i've got is a new attitude i'm feeling really positive i am molia fat lad have you got anything to say no yeah i was a bit worried you might say that um i am not a fat lad i am not a fat lad oh avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded well, because my head's so big, right? I just, I think I try not to move it too much because I don't want to go out of the the square. Right, well, we'd have to go, like, straight in. So relax into it. Oh, I thought we'd started. Oh, have we? Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, what? You mean people can't see us? Look, just to put the listener in the picture. No, the viewer in the picture, yeah. The listener stroke viewer in the picture. <laughs> I need to explain the, the, the way in which Moliere is showing off right now, okay? He's, uh, he's reclining on the biggest chaise long you can possibly imagine. It's obscene. He's waiting for his concubines or his little man to bring his bring him his grapes because he's got his hand out. Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder, since there aren't any concubines or little men ambling around this particular chaise longue, yeah. I wonder if there's figments of his fertile imagination. I think it might be pigments of your fertile something or other. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we've got the, the goat noise when we're talking about sheep. Because it's the closest we can get. Oh, that's right, yeah. I think we ought to have an off-mic um, animal noise practice session. Did I swear? No, I did. Oh, did you? Oh, right. <laughs> oh, dear. Why don't you just, I tell you what, this might be a good way to start the pod. You just get all your swear words out, get them all out of you now, so we don't have to do too many beeps later on in the pod. Because, you know, we do know that you've got a bit of a potty mouth. 
Yeah, nothing wrong with a bit of swearing. Well, I think, you know, children are listening to this, and I think, you know, it's a bad example. Have we given up on adults now? I gave up on adults in 2020 a long time ago. Jesus. Mm -hmm. There is no hope if you... Unless unless you give up on adults, there is absolutely no hope at all for anything. So is blaspheming allowed? Oh, God, you're in France, aren't you? Well, you just well, you just said God and Jesus in the same <laughs> sentence. I'm just wondering, is that because you're getting in the Christmas spirit, or is that um, I don't know what that what's that about? Is that you found you found the light, maybe? Well, it's you who's Christmas obsessed. I mean, I think you spent like 20 minutes of the of the last uh, the weekend episode talking about donkeys. Did I? Well, what, what would you be? How could I don't understand how donkeys can fit into the um into the uh the weekends flashback it's like what is gonna happen so what he did was he bought the donkey from somebody in the pyrenees um and so that was the big question mark what what the hell is he going to do with this donkey when he actually finally gets there? And and he could kind of push that to the back of his mind um, as he was going along. But the closer he got to um, Saint-Jacques de Compostelle, uh, yeah, it became a bit of a, yeah, the question became bigger and bigger. Um, was he going to, yeah, what was he going to do? He had no plan. Did they get married in the cathedral? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and he left a deposit. Yeah, he left a deposit, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Which you know is going to happen, but it's still brilliant when it happens. <laughs> right we're, we're not, I don't think we. That's what donkeys do. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, I, I really liked the donkey. I thought the donkey was cool. Yeah. I thought the donkey was really cool. And no one really had a problem with the donkey, did they? No one objected. The donkey no. was like fine being tied up outside the youth hostels. It was just, yeah. yeah. So it was engaging, the story with the donkey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll edit all of it out, all of it. <laughs> Yeah, somehow I've got a I've got a doubt about that, but you know. Well, no, no, obviously not the bits where you seem foolish, but the bits where I seem foolish for sure. <laughs> well, the proof will be in the um, in the listening, won't it? Or what's that silly what's that silly um, saying? The proof will be in the pudding or the eating. What is that? I think it's a disgrace that seventy five percent of our puddings come from outside England, but we'll move on to that later. I, oh, well, I find that statistic very hard to believe. And just because you hear a statistic on on uh, Molière and the Fat Lad pod, please don't quote it as like you know gospel. No, I agree with you because I still think that most English people would prefer a spotted dick. Obtuse, moi. I think I'm going to edit out that bit about editing things out. Yeah, all right. I couldn't agree with you more, Fat Lador.
Yeah, it wouldn't be. Yeah, that of course, of course. Sorry, no. <laughs> I don't know what section this is actually. What's it? Is it got? Is this in a section? Well, I went down anyway. It's it is what it is. You went, went down, down river. So you went towards the towards the port. I did. I went towards the port, and um, it was really, you know just to get off the estates. I mean, the estates are great, but there's always there's always somebody asking you something, or there always seems to be something to do, you know. So I thought, well, I've, I'll, I'll, well, sorry, incestuous there as well, isn't it? <laughs> well, maybe not. Yeah, well, maybe a little bit actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's normal. It's okay. It's culturally okay in the 17th century. You're all right. They don't do with me. Just because it happens, just because it happens on my estate. Well, is this like some sort of court case? Is this like you know, I mean, being judged? Look, just because it goes on on my estates, does that make me culpable? If this, if this is a court case, I'm definitely not defending you. Right. So back to me. Um, you know, my river. river. Raft or a gondola. Well, if you can imagine how um, sort of uh, big boats might be on the Mississippi River in the future, it was a bit of a precursor to that, I would say. Very nice. Or think the think and a little trip down the Nile. Yeah. So I was on the. Hey. Okay. It's a bit different. I don't. I don't remember Huckleberry Huckleberry Finn on the Nile. <laughs> I don't remember that book. <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, all prisoners, all passengers traveling in pet-friendly cabins to return to their cabins and wait for a crew member. Please remember that your dog must wear a leather. We thank you for your understanding and cooperation. Pour votre sécurité, nous vous remercions de rester à l'intérieur de votre véhicule. Nous vous remercions de votre coopération durant cette traversée. Nous vous excusons pour ce retard et vous souhaitons une bonne continuation pour votre voyage. Prenez soin de vous. Ladies and gentlemen, we will shortly be arriving in Portsmouth. We hope you had a pleasant crossing. All motorized passengers whose cabin key color code is yellow and green, color code yellow and green, may now return to their vehicles. Please leave your cabin door open. We kindly ask you to wear your mask. To access to the car decks, please press the green light button located by the door. Please do not smoke in the garage and do not turn on your engine until being told to do so by a member of the crew. For your safety, please remain inside your vehicle. We thank you for your cooperation during this crossing. Do apologize for the delay and wish you a safe journey. Please take care of yourselves. Motorisé dont le code couleur de la clé cabine est rouge, rose et bleu. Code couleur rouge, rose et bleu. Ainsi que les passagers motorisés sans code couleur sont invités à rejoindre leur véhicule. Merci de laisser la porte de votre cabine ouverte. Nous vous demandons de porter votre masque. Merci. Ladies and gentlemen, all motorized passengers whose cabin key color code is red, pink and blue. Color code red, pink and blue. And passengers without color code may now return to the vehicles. Please leave your cabin door open. We kindly ask you to wear your mask. Thank you.
The following is a public health message on behalf of the UK's public health agencies. If entering the UK, you must fill in a passenger locator form online, online only, regardless of where you're arriving from. You must also self-isolate for the first 10 days after you arrive, unless you are in an exempt category. This is to protect yourself and others. Visit gov.uk for more information.
They were siren. They were siren. Oh, did you crash on their rocks? Oh yeah. <laughs> I did ask one. I did ask one if she wanted to go to the cinema actually, and she said, "Well, I would love to, but the cinema's not open because in France they're closed." But you were in British waters, weren't you? I could have said that, couldn't I? Well, at that point we weren't. Could I could have, have said. You could have produced a British mackerel as evidence if you got a fishing rod. Oh. Well, she took a no, she just took one look at my cod piece and <laughs> decided. English cod, English cod or French cod? Uh, well, they, no, there isn't French cod because they call it cabillaud. Do they call it a cabillaud piece? Yeah. And uh, I should have said, well, how about a rencontre de savoir-faire um, mid-channel? Oh, in the kind of international waters. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was just like, you know, a little nice little excursion and sort of get away from it all, you know. I mean, because people come to my estates to get away from it all, and then, and then I go somewhere else to get away from them. Um, well, you know what it's like. It's You just wherever you live even if you live in a palace because kings and queens they didn't always used to stay in their palaces did they, they used to go to their country well, country estate way, i love the way you say you know what it's like and then you immediately talk about people in palaces i'm in a hovel i don't know what it's like i don't know what it's like i mean you i mean you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth and so you assume everyone's got a silver spoon and so yeah and you know your immediate example is kings in palaces you're speaking to someone who lives in a kind of mud hut in wessex well yeah. really oh yeah okay well uh, i'm quite open-minded you could turn the blood into wine couldn't you well yeah exactly no there is always there is always you know a silver lining um you know maybe it was just maybe people are getting a bit ahead of themselves you know and they're sort of like doing some sort of sacrificial ceremony or something. went down the river on my boat yeah and i came back i came back a new man so what happened well just you know a bit of sea air you know i think it does i think everyone should get a bit of sea air every now and again it does you know just change a scene you come back and you've got time to meditate on the river and it's a very nice place to sort of meditate on a boat actually I mean, I think if you're a new man, you can kind of keep some of your old traits. I mean, I don't I think it'd be impossible to sort of have a complete personality change, wouldn't it? That would be a bit that'd be a bit weird. Well, do you remember that? Do you remember that episode where you allowed poor people in to steal your pigs? 
<laughs> oh god, I'm not going to go through that conversation again. Go are on. You saying, but are you saying now that you're only going to allow toss in to steal your things? Is that is that what happened to you in the port? Oh Sounds no, like- no, abs- absolutely not. No, I think when I say I'm a new man, I've just maybe got some new ideas. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I wasn't that, I wasn't that self-hating that I had to sort of go on a, on an excursion to the coast and come back and have a complete personality transplant. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you'll still let them in to steal your figs, but they, but they should pay you. I just, it's very difficult to sort of pre-plan how you're going to react to certain situations. And, and it doesn't really fit in my philosophy. I'll see how I feel when they knock on the door. Are you going to give them Christmas presents? We don't. We're not doing Christmas on the estates. (laughs) (laughs) And if anyone asks, I say, look, what what is your problem? Every day you're on my estates is like a Christmas come true. So, (laughs) you know, get back to work. No, it's not a holiday. You're the 17th century living embodiment of Slade. Right? <laughs> no, you're more really like good. Wham, I think. I'm more, more Wham. No, but last, Wham is... Last it's rueful and regretful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's because that's, that's how they feel. They say, last Christmas, I gave you all my worldly goods. And this year, I'm, I haven't got anything left to give you. Can I have some back, please? No, go back into the field or wherever you came from. Last Christmas, I gave you my figs. I couldn't agree with you more, Fat Lador. You're the host. That wasn't even a section. <laughs> Oh, talking to rats. Well, let's move on to the nature section because that, that actually just ties nicely into my nature section. So I was down by the river, right, and the other day, and um, I saw just, you know, cool and calm as you like. Going, This was going upstream. So it's coming away from the sea, going up to the to the, la source. A rag on down. I'll tell you, man, a rag on down. They're big. And it was just sort of minding its own, gently strolling. Well, it wasn't strolling. It was in the water, but sort of paddling upstream. And um, and it saw me, obviously didn't recognize me because it suddenly did a U-turn and then went scuttling back down, down, down the river. Um, well, up the river. Oh, I'm getting confused. Sorry. Um, anyway, he went the other way and um and hid but um yeah they're big man and they've got big teeth and they've got like what is it rag on down what do you know what that is it's like a big rat but it's not a rat it's got a rat's tail but it's not a rat it's got rat's fur but it's not a rat it's got big teeth at the front a bit like a rat but it's not a rat is that koipu a bigger pardon koipu is that a swear word? What is that? Is that Vietnamese? What, what, what is that all about? They were they were introduced into your country in the in the nineteenth century, so that's like two hundred years ahead of you. So I'm, I'm so I'm smelling a rat about this story already. And, uh, Maybe it was a dirty rat then. <laughs> was it in your kitchen? Of all the 
No, it wasn't. But of all the the rivers it had to come into, had to and come that into was mine. On, and that was on your way back from the port that you saw that you saw this being. No, I, every morning I go down and do yeah. you know things by the river. Say hello. Well, you know. Yeah, just see the lie of the land. So they arrived. They arrived in uh, France in the 19th century, and they, and they were deliberately brought in because they're prized for their fur. And even even to this day, people will make uh, make fur hats out of these innocent creatures. Yeah, they came into Britain in in the 1940s, I think. So, so people uh, didn't have fur hats until the 1940s. They in. did have fur hats. It's just that they've got a particularly soft fur. Which is beloved by toffs like you. Well, the pate apparently they they make they like to make pate pate out of it round there. <laughs> Are you doing that? Are you force feeding koi poo? And then you don't look. You I think you're getting some things mixed up. You're thinking of foie gras. That's where they they gav or they yeah. force feed the um, the geese. No, that's okay. Um, for you know to make the um, the liver, make it all nice and tender and big and whatever it is. But um, just a pate can be made out of all sorts of bits and pieces from a from an animal, including a koi poo. If you, yeah. If I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a, a bit um, dis- distressed about how you're talking about these creatures because I've I've learned that they're very very sociable creatures. They can have up to 13 friends. are quite cute when they're out of the water because they don't seem quite so agile and they just sort of mooch about they're but shy you know, they're shy because because the young adult koi are really really shy they can be really really solitary so so in some ways they have a lot in common with us so they should be our friends i think well, like I say, you know, they are quite when it's just when they're in water. When I saw that one in the water, it just looked quite. I wouldn't you wouldn't want to believe swimming about and come across one because it's very agile. And they, quite, eat, they eat roots and leaves. Well, they eat roots and leaves, maybe, but they can also attack. Like one of our cats or my cat. Yeah. My cat, I don't know. I think you've met my cat. Of course you've met my cat. It makes an appearance in most pods. But a couple of times it's come back just drenched, right? And this is not from mucking about in a puddle drenched. It is, like, obviously been submerged in the river or whatever. And with loads of cuts and that. So I think well, that it's had, I think it's had your, a run-in. What? No, it didn't have a run-in. That was your cat attempting to eat a peaceful vegetarian being who eats roots and leaves and aquatic vegetation not cats yeah no. yeah okay well the, stop well. defending your cat it's your cat is attacking 
peace-loving little people who have 13 friends and are really shy you know well i wasn't there so i don't know exactly what happened maybe my cat was just going for a gentle evening swim and it got like, attacked <laughs> and it came back with loads of really horrible scratches and mm. things all over it yeah there are, there are some negative things I've learned about koi as well. So, so as soon as they've coupled, they they split up, right? And they have nothing to do with the, with their former partner. They disperse immediately. So I'm thinking the koi are kind of they're they're a kind of uh, a living rodent embod- embodiment of toxic masculinity, really aren't they? You know, to have that little respect for who you've just been with. They don't even hang around to have a cigarette after sex. It's like, well, we've done that and now you're history. That's horrible. I'm with your cat. Kill him. Kill him all. I think the cat did quite well to actually get out alive. What? Because you think it might have been a short-sighted coiper who thought he was an aquatic vegetation? Um, no, but I think, no, but I think that a, a ragonda or a koipu, as you call them, um, you know, would be, def- would defend its roots if it saw a cat, you know, sniffing about. And, um, there was, something, there was something suspicious I learned about them as well. And this ties into your story earlier of, uh, paddling upstream from the sea back to the estates, because I learned that the koipu exists solely in marshes and sluggish streams right now i think everybody's seen the picture i mean almost photograph of your estates where would they have seen that where would they have seen that well they've seen it on the on the picture that accompanies this podcast oh i thought that was i thought that was an artistic impression as a photograph is it okay yeah are you okay We've referred to your extraordinary river that's like 30 metres wide on numerous occasions. That's not a sluggish stream, is it? No, absolutely not. And I, yes, and I do think that, you know, Ragondan or Koipu, as you insist on calling them, um, you know, probably do get lost occasionally and end up in like huge rivers that resemble the Mississippi or the Nile. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we've got, we've got swimming cats being attacked by vegetarian rats who only live in sluggish streams on your 20 meters wide river. It's the best nature section ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we dealt with the nature. Thanks for your contributions, fat lads. Go for it. So I was reading about um, power outages in a Scottish village that uh, regularly through the through this year they the electricity had suddenly gone throughout the village and no one no one had any idea why this was happening and it seems now now that the scientists and the boffins have come in to investigate it seems this is due to starlings dancing on the power lines they're getting together because they're quite small and light birds but they're getting together on mass 
and dancing into the power lines and switching everything off. So they're um have they got the power? Have they got the power? They've got the power. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they only do this dance at dusk. So just when people are stopping for a bit of Strictly. The birds all get together, start their dancing, invade the power lines, everything's switched off. And I'm I'm appalled by their behaviour really because because the one thing that is absolutely clear about these these beings is they're not social distancing, are they? You know, and none of them are wearing masks. None and, they're of them. and they're obviously not into the national sport either, are they? <laughs> watching watching strictly. No, they're not into it. I mean, they're doing their own dancing, and people are sort of complaining rightly about them. And um, they're evil. You know what sort of dance they're doing? I, I, I don't know why, but I just imagine they're doing some sort of like a river dance dance. Do you think they're doing that? You know, when they don't use their arms, they just use their feet. I can imagine them doing yeah. that. Or do you think they're flapping their wings a bit? I think you might be right. I think it's quite possible that starlings are not using their arms. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So I think they're evil these birds and I think we should do something about them. I mean they, they kill native birds as a matter of course. It's part of their culture. And they stop us, us Scottish people, <laughs> from uh, from watching strictly honestly, these birds coming over here stopping our culture. You know, doing their lewd dancing at dusk. I mean, they must have a sick sense of humour. The way they wait the whole day, and then they go, "Come on, lads." Could we get could we get them on the pod for the next culture episode? <laughs> I'd be quite interested to having a chat with them actually about their yeah, culture. Get the starlings, the starlings, and the koi poo on the pod to defend yeah. themselves. Yeah. yeah. I feel for the starlings as well. I, I think if your cat met a starling, I fear for the starling. You know. I would probably put my money on the cat yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so but we better maybe get the starlings on the pod before before it's too late no and, and the koi poo it seems i mean your cat is basically the the destroyer of worlds no 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 no. i i have never seen uh, a dead koi poo in my living room or even in my kitchen mind you i did find a big pool of blood in my kitchen the other day that was well i, I don't know if it was blood but it was red it was kind of bizarre. <laughs> no, it was very bizarre. There was no body of anything around, just a no. pool of red liquid. I have no idea what that was about. Well, I think you should analyse your cat's um, stool samples. I'm not going to start. I'm not going to. I'm not going to inspect anybody's stool samples. Well, in if fact, you're going to exonerate him from this kind of serial killing that he's up to on the estates. I think the least you can do. For the koi poos, for the starlings, is to start analysing. I did sniff it. <laughs> I did sniff it, and I thought that blood had a smell, but I couldn't detect any. I couldn't detect any obvious odour from this liquid. Yeah, so because it's, it's a vegetarian blood, it's kind of pure. I was about to lick it, and I thought, no, don't yeah. start licking liquids that you've found on the floor. And and if it was blood, it'd be like drinking blood. That'd be just that'd be no, terrible. Send it off to the lab. 
because we are talking about potential serial killer here. And I think it would, you know, if you care for every being on your estate, which your brochure seems to suggest, then I don't think you should be exonerating your best mate just because he's a cat. But the, the, the worrying thing about this pool of red liquid on the kitchen floor was that the cat was not in the house. Mm. So it just added to the mystery, really. Yeah, well, either your cat's a serial killer or you are in your sleep. Oh, I hadn't thought about being the culprit. Oh, right. Thanks for that. Yeah. I think I might have gone on another boat trip. Get another personality change. My nose feels like his. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a visual joke. Not that it was very funny. Yeah, he's got a, just just for the benefit of the listener, he's got a kind of stuffed koi poo sitting behind him on his sofa. It's disgusting. It's really it's cruel. He's quite he's quite happy. He's never had it so good actually. He doesn't have to yeah, get right. wet. he doesn't have to get wet every day and get attacked by strange cats. Okay, I get it. He'd rather be a kind of victim of taxidermy than a hat. Yeah, well, yeah. Great. yeah. Would you, like to be, would you like to have a taxidermist have a go at you after your demise? Well, if the question is, would I rather be stuffed and stuck on a on a, on a shelf, or or sort of walk about round someone's neck or on someone's head, mm. I'd have to think about it. Probably. Depends who it was, really. I mean, if I was just sort of stuck on somebody's shelf and they had like quite a boring house, that would probably quite. I'd rather if it was in a if it were in a chateau or a palace. Maybe a, a t-shirt or something, or bag. That would be quite good. A bag. It's also because I'm fat lad. The bag would be sort of spacious, wouldn't it? Be quite a useful thing to have. Might be. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, I don't want to be socks. Um, let's move on to uh, Fate Diver. We just had Fate Diver. No, that was your wrong con. Oh, yeah, you're right. That was your Fate Diver. What? No, that was your fate de ver, wasn't it? My fate de ver. I haven't done my fate de ver yet. My fate de No, I haven't done my fate de ver yet. My fate de ver is... Um, we've already touched on this theme in a previous pod, so I don't know if any of the people listening today uh, uh, will, will know what I'm talking about. My fate de ver is... Um, uh, there was... And there's a bit of I've made a bit of a French joke, actually, because there was an ex-mayor of um, a, a, a village in the Dordogne that had the um, the police come round to his house. And um, and they did uh, they had a warrant to, to search his house. Because Is it Dom? Is it Dom? <laughs> it well have been, couldn't it? No, he's not an ex-mayor, I don't think. Um, uh, so. They had a, a, a warrant to search his house and uh, search his 
bird collection. So I made this French joke, right? Because in French, when you have a, a, a search warrant, it's a perquisition. So the French police had a perquisition for this ex-mayor's house to search his house because there was um, a bird problem. Or there was a... Um, anyway. And the thing is, parrot in French is perroquet. Mm. So our, my, my French play on words is this ex-French mayor had a perroquisition. A perroquisition. Yeah, don't worry, French people wouldn't laugh at it either, actually. So there seems to be an obsession in my part of the world with people keeping exotic birds. Yeah, because we remember that, was it a nature section you did in the previous episode about the parrots being kept in the cupboard? No, I think it was a fate d'hiver. What does that even mean? <laughs> Winter festival. Well, it could be, actually, because... Yeah, say, I, say Winter festival in French. Fête d'hiver. Now say the other one. Which other one? The one you're doing, the one you've just done about Paris. Ah, Fête d'hiver. Yeah, right. That's easy. Honestly. It probably sounds very similar, but, you know, you shouldn't take my pronunciation on anything. For it's okay. Great. We're going to be free in two weeks of all this sort of linguistic nonsense. Yeah. We're going to be yeah. free. Sovereign. Well, I tell you what, why don't you take all the French words out of your language and we'll take all the English words out of our language and we'll see how easy I, it is to speak. Yay! Got a, I've, got a, I've got something, but I don't know whether it's a fake divert or a rencontre de savoir-faire. So I don't know what either of them mean. So. Yeah, I've got a rencontre de savoir-faire and a fake divert. Have you? I thought we'd already done that. I know, but I'm so confused by these two sections that I don't even realise I haven't done it. Well, do you want to kick off with that then? And then... Uh, yeah, we'll... okay. I mean, it's probably wrong, but we'll have it. There is, there, is, there is no wrong. There is no Liz wrong. Trust. Liz Trust is my fake today. Okay. She is the Secretary of State for International Trade. So she's a cabinet minister with a with a with an important international brief. She's famous for um, making a speech a couple of years ago, and I'm going to quote from her, her here. Um, we are producing more varieties of cheese than the French. And after after she said that, there was a there was a huge cheer from her English audience. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. Anyway, she's been she's been back. She's been she's been staying true to form and keeping up her her, her reputation for magnificent fact-based oratory with um with a with a speech she made a couple of days ago. Sorry, can I just interrupt there a second? Uh, yeah. So when when she gives a speech like that. Yeah. Right, you know about foreign cheese and and stuff. Do they put in the the appropriate sounds? It's hurrah! That was that was the sound. Yeah. <laughs> and then we import two thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. And then there was a mixture of of hurrah and booing. So some people obviously thought, well, I'll have a go at the French here, and some people were like, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. But it was it was definitely it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And I'm glad she's in the cabinet. 
representing us on international trade. So I'd imagine French cheese coming into Britain is kind of an international trade, actually, isn't it? So obviously the right sure. the right person is in the job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think she's got away with a lot because she's in the same cabinet as Gavin Williamson and Matt Hancock. <laughs> Next to them, she's Gandhi, isn't she? I mean, I, like, you know, like, yeah. I kind of, I think we kind of missed our chance to get into that cabinet because if we were in that cabinet, we would just come yeah. across as so sort of learned and, know. and you know, knowledgeable and all the rest of it. You know, no, if Molly had like chanced his way into that cabinet, he'd be like the sage of the cabinet, wouldn't he? <laughs> Gavin Williamson and Pratt Mancock. I mean, unbelievable. You just you'd be like, oh, this is just the chance of being in the same cabinet as these fools. She said, um, oh, the wisdom here is amazing. While we were taught about racism and sexism in school, there was too little time spent making sure everyone could read and write. These ideas meaning racism and sexism, I think, have their roots in French postmodernist philosophy, pioneered by Michel Foucault. I mean, she's right, isn't she? I mean, you spend too much time with French philosophy, the most impenetrable texts ever written, you're not going to know how to read or write, are you? No, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you know, what I do do find quite endearing about the French is that they actually have philosophy classes at school. I don't remember learning anything, any philosophy at school, except um, there is no society or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, and look, that didn't do you any harm, did it? Well, obviously not, you know. Well, Stilton and, and I must confess there is a bit of port with the Stilton. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not but not not Bordeaux. God, Bordeaux. Overrated. <laughs> Terribly overrated. So I, I had to look into I mean um, I mean this is another wonderful thing that Liz trusted. She sent me back to Michel Foucault, actually. You know, the the famously illiterate French philosopher who only toddlers can read. Well, yeah, I would like to say the same for me. But if I said that, you know, she inspired me to go back to Foucault, um, I'd be lying twice. <laughs> Which I think is kind of the point she's making, actually. You've been addled by the French philosophers and by, and by the camembert. Anyway, well, I mean, I, I found a wonderful quote from him, which I think is pertinent to to considering Liz Truss's latest uh, latest brilliance. So he said, uh, "Where there is power, there is resistance." That is that is, I think that's beautiful, and it's a lot shorter than the quote that I I um jotted down because the, the only quote that i i could find that i understood i wrote down the others i thought well i'm not going to say them because if i didn't understand them it would be a bit a bit problematic mm. go on give us give us what give us what you got well it's a bit long i'll have to take a deep breath the lyricism of marginality oh that's french Okay. The lyricism of marginality may find inspiration in the image of the outlaw 
the great social nomad who prowls on the confines of a docile, frightened order. It's kind of similar, isn't it? It's just yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I think it's terrible. If I mean, if we're raising school children to be able to comprehend that whilst eating their brie, then obviously something's gone really wrong because you'd be better off with a bit of Julia Hartley Brewer and some cheddar, wouldn't you? Well, I think that, yeah, that should definitely be on the uh, national curriculum. What does FOCU mean? FOCU means false ass, which is like um, hypocrite. You're like a Liz Trust fanboy, aren't you? But um, if you pronounce it properly, then it's not a play on words at all. It's just your pronunciation, sure. it was your pronunciation earlier. You said FOCU, and I'm like... Well, that means false ass. No, I didn't say foku, and if I did, I'll edit edit it out. <laughs> I think you just edit that whole this whole bit out because it's not making sense. Isn't it? That's Liz Truss's whole point that we've got a generation of school kids talking about French philosophers, and isn't that a disgrace because they can't read or write or they don't know numbers, and they're only eating French cheese. I mean. It's an absolute disgrace. Well, presumably from the first of, first of January, you you won't be having any of that nonsense in your in your school curriculums. No, no, no more false ass. We're going to have only real asses from the first <laughs> of January. January. <laughs> well, you started off quite well, haven't you, with your Gavin Williamsons and your Pratt Hancocks and whatever they're called. Do you think um, Hatmancock has has read Foucault? I'm not sure if he's read is the ministerial code to be honest can i just can i just stop you there can i just stop you there what's that then because um everything you've just said has made me it's made me very sad <laughs> <laughs> that was my tribute oh brilliant 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 yeah 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 i mean that he, he, what he did in i don't know how i don't know if the listeners know even what we're talking about but maybe we can explain but in that interview that that the um what's he the minister of health the minister for health yeah. he he pretended to be really upset or, or no emotional about the good news of the vaccine and that william shakespeare was the first person to be vaccinated and and he got all emotional about this sort of wonderful sort of british achievement um uh, the and, vaccine. yeah with the german vaccine and and you know whatever and um and so on live on TV, he, he pretended to have a sort of a, a tear in his eye and become sort of all emotional. But he, the thing is, he couldn't keep it up. And, and within <laughs> two seconds, he was actually laughing. And it was just it was I mean, you couldn't make it if that was in a film, you know, I mean, it's, we keep saying that, but it's just. I think he might be being a bit unfair because I'm sure if I do a little hunt around on Google later. I'm sure I'll find out that on German TV, the German health minister has been doing some false tears about the fact that uh, Goethe, Goethe had the first vaccine. You know, I mean, surely that's been happening. Surely it's not some sort of English nonsense. No, yeah, I'm sure every health minister in the world is sort of having a, a oh, teary, there was the guy, there, was the, there was the guy, there was the health minister in Spain, wasn't there? who was like weeping away on Spanish breakfast television about the first vaccine going to Cervantes. 
right? Oh, that's very true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And then there was Belgium, the Belgium health minister going on about Hergé. Hergé got the first vaccine, didn't he? Or was it Johnny Halliday? Anyway, one or the other got it, and he was he was weeping away. Weeping away. Yeah. It's yeah. normal. This is normal. Yeah. And I think you're being very unfair. You're judging the 21st century by 17th century standards. It's got to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, the, the nostalgia section. Oh yeah. Back. <laughs> That's a good point, Fat Lad. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, Fat Ladore. Hast recht, Fat Lad. Have you got Have you got any plans for the rest of the day? No. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. That's okay. Have you got any have you got any plans for the rest of the day? <laughs> All right. Well. Did you did you hear me? No. I just say that was the best nostalgia section ever. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would like to say I enjoyed that, but I'm finding it quite difficult to put those words together in the affirmative. Here we go. Let's move on. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, 1625, please. Take it away, fat lad. Charles Stuart becomes Charles I of England, Scotland, and Ireland. He swiftly marries his princess, Henrietta Maria of Navarre, a near neighbour of Moliere, an honour almost as magnificent for Her Royal Highness as the throne of England itself. She might have fortified her husband's neck, however, but we are blessed with hindsight. For in June, the English Parliament fires the opening salvo of the English Civil War, tying King Charles's hands in preventing him from collecting proper taxes and tithes. In Paris, young Moliere continues his glorious ascent into consciousness, and his destiny to be the living embodiment and definition of French words and uh, French letters. He is blissfully unaware of momentous events in his lands, as Huguenot forces score a number of notable victories. That's one in the eye for the French. From the, uh, by the, uh, French. 
uh, yeah, it does kind of tie in nicely with my 1625 because obviously everything in in the world is related. Uh, so of course it's going to tie in nicely. And 1625 was the birth of a guy called Samuel Chapuzzo, or Chapuzzo to his friends. Um, and he was a scholar, author, poet, and playwright. And um, he uh, he was a bit of an influence on uh, on Molière. In fact, they were kind of like well in modern day parlance you could call it mates but they weren't i don't think they were mates but they were certainly contemporaries and they kind of influenced each other he this guy played a role in discovering moliere because he gave him and his troupe a glowing review um of when um moliere was um mucking around in the provinces um, and Chapuzos was uh, the first playwright apparently to introduce satire to French farce wow. and, um, and Moliere put on one of his plays as thanks when Moliere was up in Paris he put on one of uh, Chapuzos um, plays which was in English it's called The Affected Ladies a one act play uh, uh, yeah and in French it's called Les Précieuses the, the name of the um, name of the play in French is Les Précieuses Ridicule like a really good play you know even though I say so myself because um, <laughs> these provincial ladies go up to Paris to get married or to try and find you know a, a husband and um so they find these two sort of aristocrat or you know sort of supposedly cultured chaps and they're like no they're so uncultured and, and they start taking the mickey out of them and um and then they fell in love with two other guys and these two other guys, these two other guys were wearing trousers but normally they didn't wear trousers and that's the whole point that's the whole point of the play so these were the, sort of the valets of the two poshies so what's the opposite of the song killer? Um, a Vec killer. Yes, if you like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah hi guys, uh, this is Carl from, from Germany, from Berlin. This is really a lovely podcast. Uh, really keep it up like that. Uh, fat lad, uh, la fat sack. Uh, I love you. Uh, this is for the super chat, a 1625 donation. And uh, just let me say you that uh, I'm a big fan of yours and uh, uh, Goethe was a fan of uh, Molière and so am I. Hi guys, Belinda from Edinburgh. I just wanted to say thank you so much for your podcast, Molière and the Fat Lad. It's kept me going since July, maybe along with a couple of bottles of Chateau Montagne. You guys are awesome. Keep up the good work. and I'm going to keep on listening. Bye. Well, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm happy with it because I haven't heard it. I don't know. I haven't spent the night with them. Okay. Not for a while, anyway. Cut that bit out. Not if I were editing. <laughs>
Mm-hmm.